in three, two, one. According to the 2020 National Customer Rage Study, when complaining, 58% of customers got no or limited satisfaction for their efforts, while 65% left filled with rage and frustration. This means that too many businesses are scripting, outsourcing, or seriously mishandling their customer service. They are missing a key point that customer complaints are a gift to companies that, when handled well, will reap huge rewards. To help us understand why businesses should seek out complaints, learn the strategies to handle them effectively, and turn dissatisfaction into brand loyalty, is best-selling author, award-winning speaker, and trainer, Janelle Barlow. Well, hi, Janelle. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Thank you. I am excited about being here. Where are we talking to you from today? I'm living in Albuquerque now. Are you from New Mexico, born and raised? Or? <laughs> now this is, you know, when I came here to Albuquerque, it was the first time I was in this state. And we just said, let's move here. Really? And it, yeah, yeah. My husband and I had been living in Las Vegas and we could see the writing on the wall. We really needed to get out of Las Vegas because right. we're creaky knees from too much marathon running. And we lived in a two-story house and we just, design-wise, we couldn't put an elevator in the house. So we said, let's either get to a one-story house or let's get to a two-story house and with an elevator and where the water shortage is not as bad as it is in Las Vegas and where it's not as hot. It's a great place for people to move. I'm surprised that people aren't moving here. Housing is reasonable. We've got enough water for the next 50 years. And, and by then, if we don't solve the problem, well, then that's that. But if we do, we've got a little bit more time here. And it's a great community as well. And they've got great ethnicity really there. Is. We've got lots of heritage there. You've got Santa Fe just up the road. So you've got the mountains, right. you've got the snow. Now you're a South Dakota girl, if I remember reading, right? That's right. Born and raised there. Is that where home was originally for you? That's right. I was born and raised there and brought up. I knew all the political leaders. I was Republican because I knew that was the smart thing to do. I was in the party and I knew all the governors, the senators. I mean, I, I really, I knew them. And the congressmen became one person right? because the population kept shrinking and really, but you know what? South Dakota didn't feel like home to me. And it and it didn't. When I was six years of age, I realized I'd been born in the wrong state. And then it was a process of waiting until I could get out on my own as an adult. Undergraduate work at Southern Illinois University was something else too. And then the University of Pittsburgh, which was a great city. Pittsburgh is, is a wonderful city. And then my husband and I both got scholarships out at Berkeley. Berkeley was something else because first of all, I applied in the political science department. A thousand people applied that year, 25 got in. Wow. And frankly, I don't know how, because I wasn't from an Ivy League school. I was from South Dakota initially, Illinois, and then Pittsburgh. And I don't know how I got into Berkeley because I sat there next to people who were, all of them were Ivy League, all of them. Well, it's good diversity and good experience. It sounds like you were going to be a lawyer yeah. because you go into poli sci if you're going to be a lawyer or an attorney. Is that, right, is that what your path was? Yeah. My first husband said to me, it would not be a good thing for you because of your personality. And I think he was right. I was a very strong person and I grew up on debate in high school and in college. And in debate, you learn how to kill the opposition. I mean, that's, that's the way that you win is you destroy their arguments. You don't go personal, but you do destroy their arguments. And it creates a mind mindset that is 
attacking. You made a young man in your class cry, and I think that's what made you change direction. Well, that was the beginning of it. That was a pit. I was in this graduate class and this guy was reading his paper and I just, I tore it apart because I was so used to debate. That's what we did. Right, right. We tore the arguments apart and he started to cry. I felt so bad. I often wondered if that didn't affect him for the rest of his life. <laughs> sure, it could be. But that was the nature of it. And we see the lack of civility in our world. But I could see where that was good foundation and training for you because, I mean, right. I'm trying to look at how did we get to where we are today? You've got your book, your third right. edition of your book, A Complaint is a gift. And when I say third edition, it's not just with a few tweaks here and there that the publishers like us to create, but it's actually three different versions of a book where you've added and evolved the concepts, the strategies, because they've changed. So complaints and complaint handling has changed, obviously, from when you started, but you're communicating. It's a communication that you're having, which can be a debate sometimes, I'm sure. So you probably still have good training. Where have you seen it where it's moved from to where it is today? And where do you see it going? When the first edition of A Complaint is a Gift came out, it was really eye-opener to a lot of people because nobody thought about them as just a positive thing that was happening in business. They really didn't. And I honestly thought, I mean, this this is where, where I think authors and writers can get out of control sometimes. I honestly thought that after this book came out, that the whole problem of complaint handling would change because everybody would have adopted this mindset. And that's not the case. And the second book hasn't done much. I think it is so ingrained for us to see complaints as negative, that it's very hard to see them as a gift. I mean, it is a mindset that you have to work at constantly to make it so. But I think it's essential for business. I really do. I've talked with you before, and we were saying how things are going to change in the next 10 years with complaint handling. And I think it's very possible that in the next 10 years, the way that we talk about the growth rate of an individual company or their sales rate or their creativity rate, all these things are measured. And this is what makes people buy their stock if they're high. I think it's very likely we could have some kind of a complaint measurement rate where if you're really bad at handling complaints, your stock's going to go down. I mean, it already does. I know when United Airlines had that problem of that Dr. Dow who was dragged off the airplane, that story, you can look it up online. It is still there. People know that story. I'm not sure what happened to United Airlines stock, but if there had been some kind of a measurement, theirs would have gone way down. At that point, Southwest Airlines recently, yeah, yeah, they are in the toilet today, yeah, and that kind of a thing I think will become like a measurement, like a net promoter score, like an MPS, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm, That makes sense. Not a real fan of the net promoter score, but there are some other ones that I really like, and I think that there's no reason why complaint handling couldn't be put in that same category, and then companies would start paying attention to it in a more focused way. I think that's one thing that's going to happen. No, I think you're right. And you are on a mission really to shift the mindset. And you talked about that around customer complaints and complaint handling. How's that going? Are we getting any better? You've been doing this for a few decades now. It's like customer service. We've been preaching it in sales and for years, and it seems like sometimes it's worse. We're wondering, are we doing any good? Yeah, it is. And it's like, we've just become meaner, you know, and that's where the mindsets really do come into it. I know there was a survey, I think it was 2020, the National Customer Rage Study. So so there's actually a study on rage, right? That reported that 58% of customers got no or limited satisfaction from their efforts, while 65% left filled with rage and frustration. So that means that there's 
too many businesses that are maybe scripting or outsourcing or seriously mishandling their customer service and their complaints. So how are we going to fix that problem? Well, I don't know. I think that senior level people need to look at what happens when these kinds of situations occur. And I don't think they do. They say they record these calls, but I right. don't really know what happens. I'll give you an example. <laughs> I want to listen to them. Our telephone service, our Wi-Fi service here in Albuquerque, at least in our house, is really, it is so bad from time to time. Right. So I call, I'm complaining, and I complain to them regularly. And so I'm talking with this woman, Mia. She's very nice but she can't help me. She can't help me. So she says, well, let's talk. I'm cutting this short because this right. is a long conversation with her. She said, let me connect you with Verizon, who is where they get their service. You don't even know where you're getting your service. Right. They advertise on television like this is what you're buying. No, you don't really know. So she gets on to Verizon and she's gone for a little bit. And then she comes back and she said, well, Verizon has a question. So she asked me the question. I give her the answer. Then she's gone again. I realize what's happening. You can't believe this. If she's typing in a message, she's texting, she's chatting with somebody at Verizon. I don't even know if it's a live person. And then Verizon responds and then she gets it and she reads it and then she communicates with me. So it's going like this back and forth. And, and I said to her, well, why don't you just let me talk with the Verizon person? Why don't you just let me do that? Oh no, we can't do that. They put I these see, barriers see, in place. Really? I mean, would any CEO of a company who's serious about customer service and retaining customers devise a system like that? A lot of times they I, don't I, know though. A lot of times my head around that. Right. A lot of times they don't know. I had a hotel chain, the IHG group. So Holiday Inns, Vermont, there was a big group of them and I had all the owners for training. I had them check into their own hotels and then report back on what they found. They hated it. Mm -hmm. They hated just the check-in process because they never checked yeah. into their own hotels. Once they realized that yeah, process where they have to deal with it themselves. Yeah. Somebody does it for them. And you talk about a difference in your book between feedback and complaints. So yes, what's yeah. the difference between the two and why is our first inclination or knee-jerk reaction to get defensive when we represent an organization? Right. Well, we're being attacked. That's part of the reason. I mean, most people really don't know how to deliver complaints well. Right. And so they come on in an attacking way and we take it that way. Yeah. Feedback can be positive or it can be negative. Right. Complaints are never positive. That's how we use that word. Right. When the first edition of this book, A Complaint is a Gift, came out, and I was going around the United States in bookstores signing, and the announcer over the bookstore system would say, and Janelle Barlow is in the store today, and she's signing copies of her book, A Complaint is a Compliment. They would yeah, say they never even want to say it. I think their brains just couldn't wrap around the idea that a complaint would be a gift. That happened several times. So it was a shocking idea. I don't think it is so much anymore. I think people are beginning to see complaints in a more positive way today. But the difference is, is that a complaint is always negative. It's a statement of dissatisfaction. Simplest definition. And you talk about how to turn those complaints, or we can turn customers who are complaining. That's a great opportunity for our businesses to yeah. really build the brand, really build customer loyalty. And you think, well, they're not happy. And it's not that something goes wrong. What you're saying is it's what we do when something goes wrong. How do we handle it when something goes wrong, right? It's the process. I mean, everybody who's in a relationship knows that. It's things go wrong in relationships. It's a question of the process that we have for talking about that, for turning these things around. Is there a way to complain effectively? Like, I'll give you an example of a couple of strategies we do. And I've learned that if you call up someone and you're all mad and, and you're using temper or you're calling names, they typically will just hang up and you get no satisfaction at all, just more frustration. We had an episode, I was speaking in Munich 
Munich in the fall, last fall, and we had to send over boxes of books. And I won't mention names, but the company we shipped with, I'll use their initials, UPS. And, and yeah, exactly. No, and normally we get good service with things, but we've been dealing for five months. They lost half the shipment and with fees and it was thousands of dollars to ship everything and we have to go through it every day and we just keep going into their process every day in a nice way without getting angry or getting mad hey we love you guys we'd really love to resolve this and we just add two or three bits but it's almost like they have a service prevention department they don't want to deal with it and stuff happens we get that but hey you know we're going on five months and that's just not right so it doesn't change unless we talk about it so we're talking about it and we love ups we're glad they're there but hey, you got to fix these processes because they're not good, right? And companies have an opportunity to use this and use some of the strategies that you talk about and change that mindset about how we can make a complaint and how do we turn it into something? So what have you discovered around that? Like what goes on in their brain that creates that loyalty or increases the satisfaction? Well, a, a great big part of it is to recognize that a complaint is an emotional experience. You never have a complaint without some emotions with it, like the rage study, Brutzman's right. studies. He's really clear about that, that if you're not dealing with the emotions that are inherent in a complaint, you're not going to get very far. There's a number of academic researchers who are very, very clear about that, and they've got the data to support that. I mean, just interrupt myself for a moment and say, all of my ideas come from academia. I turn them around so that they're understandable, but they're really solidly based in research. And one of the things is really clear is it's not just about giving the customer what they want. It's about giving the customer what they want while at this, well, not even that, you don't even have to give them what they want, but you have to make them feel good about that experience. You want to make them feel like they've been heard. You want to make them feel like you know what's going on. And simply saying, believe me, I understand what you're saying. That just doesn't do it. That doesn't cut it. No, You've got to do more than that. I'm so tired of hearing complaint handlers say, I understand. And I think, no, you don't. You don't know my life. You don't know everything. Would you like me to tell you everything that happened as a result of the way your company handled this? And they don't. They don't want to hear that. And you're repeating the story again and again in the details. It becomes your story. And you're often just looking for validation and, exactly. and empathy. You want somebody who gets you and go, you know, that shouldn't happen that way. And it should never have happened. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. And let's see what we can do to fix it. You know what? Many companies could start off with this sort of a statement. I don't think it should be scripted, but the message has to get through. And that is, we are a better company than this. This is not our brand. I realize that we advertise these things on television this way, but we know that sometimes things go wrong. But we're better than that and we're working at it. And so your feedback is a real gift to us. We really appreciate it. Now, most customers who are angry at that point are probably going to start to settle. I mean, how can you still be angry when somebody is saying that kind of a thing to you? And I think it's true. I don't think most companies want to deliver this kind of service. How could they? They couldn't stay in business. Why I say that sort of like, gosh, sometimes I wonder, Right? do they really know what's going on at the intersection of their staff with their customers? Well, everybody says the big assets and Well, you say your customers are your biggest assets or your people, but when it comes to complaints, it seems to me there's an anatomy or a DNA to a complaint. And some people are more prone to complaining than others. In other words, there's some people in personality tiles where they just don't complain. 
no matter what, they go, ah, oh, that happens. They solve the situation themselves. The internet's been good because if all of a sudden you ordered some parts, I was putting up something the other day and missing a few screws, I can go online, figure out how to solve the problem. I didn't have to contact customer right. support and I'm still happy with the product. Am I disappointed a screw's missing? Hey, if you bought anything from any of the big stores, we've all had a screw missing before. Is there an anatomy to a complaint? In other words, can we predict a complaint or is there a predictive process? Or let's say we're getting same complaints over similar issues. Is that the time to fix that complaint? Obviously, is that's the one we should be paying attention to or prioritizing? That's clearly one of them is like how repetitive are the complaints? That's really critical. But you know what? Most corporations don't track that. They don't in part because customers simply don't complain. I was talking with somebody on Apple. I've been spending a lot of time with my new equipment talking with Apple. I love Apple. I've only used Apple. But I think they're starting to do some things that are making it problematical for the customer. And so when I talk with them, I tell them how much I like their products. I like what they do. I think that their business approach is very customer sensitive. I really do. Right. I mean, look at that. What are they now? Are they still the biggest, the most valued company in the world? I yeah. think they are. Yeah, pretty much. It's amazing. But maybe there's a correlation between how they work with the customer. So I was talking with this Apple guy. And so I said, well, while we're waiting for this to be solved, something was going on in the background. I said, let me ask you a question. I constantly have this problem. I don't even remember what it was now. I said, and I don't know how to solve it. He said, well, have you ever sent in that report afterwards? I said, no. I said, I just can't believe you're doing anything with my reports. I just don't believe it. And he said, we do. He said, we really do. But we get just a tiny little handful around these issues, especially when the product is being beta tested. Right, right. Just a tiny little bit. He said, but we would read every single one of them and they help us do a better job. Now, isn't that just about a perfect kind of customer representation of your company to say those kinds of things? Yeah, it is. So I've gotten better. I've yeah. gotten better at sending in my reports when things go wrong to Apple because they're looking at them. I do the surveys too. And like you say, I always start with the positive. Now, in one of your messages, you talked about when you're giving feedback, for instance, don't use the sandwich technique where we start off with something. Hey, we are really, really good. Here's my complaint. And by the way, you're really, really good and you're special, yeah. but take the emotion out of it. So just as the negative yes. emotions being stimulated by the complaint, we get frustrated. If something's not working properly and it's not according to plan, well, quite frankly, that's why I switched Apple myself off of PC years ago is because trying to hook up peripheral devices to a PC was just, you needed a PhD. And I remember just a side note in those days, the number one customer service complaint for people phoning into Microsoft was I can't find the any key. And they say, excuse me? Oh. And they go, the any key. It says, press any key to continue. And he said, I can't find it on the keyboard. That was the number one complaint, believe it or not. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company.
And now back to my conversation with Janelle Barlow. You talk about cultures too, like for instance, Americans and Canadians and our podcast is all over the world with people, but people can be whiners, right? And sometimes we have other countries, even as Americans, we can be busy as whiners. But according to your research, a small number of people actually speak up about what are legitimate complaints. Why is that? Well, part of it is, is because we look at the person who's going to help us or we're talking on the phone or we're offered a choice of chatting and forget that. It just looks to us like nothing's going to happen. Nothing good is going to come out of my spending time here. So I'm weighing it against, do I absolutely need this? Can I fix it myself? And if I absolutely don't need this or I can fix it myself, I'm probably not going to continue that conversation. It's an easy decision to make because it saves you time. When you ask about what makes people complain, yeah, I can tell you this. If it's big enough, people will complain. If the problem is big enough, they will complain. It may take them a little while, but they will complain. But mostly they're looking at that person. And then these companies, they put in people who are fresh off the boat in terms of their life experience, and they put them handling these remarkably complex emotional situations with the customer because the customer is frustrated. The customer is trying to decide, should I leave? Should I do this? Should I do that? I mean, the customer is really going nuts. Now, are there any people who are just inherently super, they've got nothing to do with their time better than to whine. Yes, of course, there are some of those, but it's a small number. It's that same number that do customers cheat? It's estimated that maybe 4% of customers exaggerate to the point where you would call it cheating. I think all of right. us do. You believe, you know, we do yeah. some of that, but They're not but honest with their approach. Yeah. Right. The ones who are really not, it's about 4%. And interestingly enough, managers think that customers cheat at a higher rate than the people who are talking with the customers. And of course, they are the ones who set the policies about what's going to happen in those situations. So that's why it's so complex. And I think we have relegated the field of complaint handling and put it off to the side. We don't even link it to sales. But sales are the source of a big part of the problem because salespeople will say just about anything to get somebody to buy. Well, that's why we say, say in selling, we say objections are a necessary part. And an objection is kind of like a complaint in one sense. It means yes, you it, oh, I think it is exactly yeah. a complaint. Yeah, you haven't told yeah. me enough information. And in your book, you talk about four categories of complainers. So the number one is, I want you to get better complainer. Let's unpack a few of these here. So let's talk about the, I want you to get better. They actually love the product. Let's say, say Apple, you want them to improve this process. So you open up the packaging with your new laptop. It's beautiful. You don't even want to throw the box away. You want it just <laughs> to keep getting better and you keep upgrading year after year after year, right? In their ecosystem. What's the story with that kind of complaint? They're still fans of the organization. They just want to see overall improvement and they're coming in with really good intentions, I'm assuming. And I think Apple has to be, just as a side note, has to be very careful about that because they're coming out with an iCar. And if Apple products are becoming more and more complex, and if they build that complexity into the iCar, that's not going to be good. No. I, I mean, I think the thing that Apple branded itself on, at least it was part of their brand, was you can open up the box, turn it on and start to use it. That's how that's I right. always was with with my apples from the very beginning. And then it became increasingly complex. I am not a person who reads the document that tells you how to use it. I'm just not. I, I don't even open that. My husband keeps telling me, well, Janelle, go online and look at the videos on YouTube. I can't be bothered. Yeah, that's my notion what I, of, I should be able to just plug it in play, this. plug and play. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. turn it on. Well, they moved away from that. And if they start building cars that are electric vehicles, they better get plug and play. 
Yeah, it's got to be simple. Well, your second category of complainer is the I'm leaving complainer. And I've used this one myself. So sure. with the cell phone companies, I was with, again, I won't mention names, AT&T. But I was with at and <laughs> I love AT&T. They were a great, great company. been with them for yeah. years and great service. And But we're paying hundreds of dollars a month on cell phone service and love it. I always get good customer service when I talk to them and complain. But if I have any frustrations, then I call them up and tell them I'm leaving. Immediately, they lower the price. And the plan goes, or why you're leaving. So they, they actually have a department where they're trying to save you versus being proactive with it and just going, hey, we just value you. You've been with us for 15 years, which I was. And I just recently switched to another carrier and they're just as good. And it's a half the price and it's a national carrier. And so it's like these companies just get too big for the britches, really. And it's like they don't understand that that customer. It's a personal connection. Yeah. That's what got you there in the first place. And you were there for 15 years. Believe me, you are personally connected. And so when you start complaining, you better get to that personal connection idea right away. Well, exactly. It's like anytime I've had a complaint, the first thing I do is I say, can you see how long I've been a customer? And they go, yes. And I, it's always empowering those people who are handling the complaints. So I think that's key part of your solution because mm-hmm. I want to get to some of the solutions. It is possible to get the customers who say, I'm leaving, to turn them around. You can. Absolutely. You I've been turned around, really so have, I know. Yeah. You really have to know about the emotions that that person is experiencing. Yeah. Is there anything I can do to fix this problem? We'd love to keep you. I'm glad I fell on my lap, but I only have one goal is let's see if we can't solve your problem. If I can help solve your problem, we'd love to keep you. Yeah. Apple says it very simply. They just say, let me see what I can do. Now that Mm. is such a hopeful response. You're not promising anything, but what you're saying is I'm going to work my rear end off to fix this for you in any way that I can. That's what they're saying. And they should should. be empowered and not have the standard, well, that's not our policy. When I hear that one, I go, well, that's funny because I checked my policy manual and it says in the event that my policy manual or policy (laughs) contradicts your policy, mine wins. And I've got a good friend, Tim Gard, who's a comedian yes, and speaker. Yes, that's his line, isn't you know, it? Do you know, Timmy, uh-huh. that's his line. And, and I know that line. It's so beautiful. Good to hear you say it. Yeah, no, he does a great job with that. He carries his whole little policy and procedure book with him. So yeah, good <laughs> folks. Well, then you've got the online complainer, which is a tough one because a lot of people are trollers or they're complaining. Like, I'll read reviews. Yes. And actually, you have a really good strategy for handling reviews. We'll get reviews that come in and everybody's always wanting the positive ones and they ignore the negative ones. Hopefully, they get better. But what you're saying is nip those in the bud quickly. I got that message loud and clear, which I thought was an excellent strategy for businesses is attack your negative ones and stop them because then they don't get any traction. They tend to fall off and down the totem pole. It was like, I read the negatives and there's a fine line between when I read 5.0, 5.0, five stars, I trust a 4.6 more than I do a 5.0. And if I see something, I was looking at something just yesterday and it had two stars, lots of reviews, but mostly two stars. I quit looking. I stopped immediately. Four I'm going to look at, four and a half I'll look at. And I know the way they do those scores, apparently if it's a 4.4, they round down. And if it's a 4.5 or whatever, they'll round up. Is it 4.6? Is that what it is? Wow. Well, each company has its own algorithm, but that's pretty much what they do. And because they know that people will book into, for example, hotels that have higher ratings than hotels that have lower ratings. Absolutely. I mean, a company really wants to work on getting higher ratings. 
So no, it makes a difference. And the last one you have is the game, the system complainer, and that's somebody who's just trying to take advantage. Yeah. They're trying to game it, work it to their advantage. Yeah, right, right, yeah. And they do think they take advantage of companies that have these automatic returns with no questions asked. I mean, Costco, for example, you bring it in, you don't have to even bring in your receipt. Now, are there people who attempt to game that system? I'm sure that there are, but it keeps people coming back. I mean, I know for me, I buy Costco because I know I can return it. I buy Amazon Prime because yeah. I know I can return it. I'll pay a few pennies more, a few dollars Absolutely. more because I know I get to return it. And I'm not gaming the system, but you can be sure that there are some people who do. Right. And Absolutely. The companies need to identify who these are because they can lose a lot of money that way. You bet. You say when companies encounter these customers who do complain, that we should first listen to the content of the complaint they are presenting, not the way they're actually saying. Right, right, yeah. And there's a number of different ways to handle that. This is why it's a good idea not to script, because if you say, well, when you hear this, then do this, you come across it scripted. And I don't know what's going on with companies, but I hear this, an awful lot of people, and then their voices sound like they're younger than, and they've got like a phrase I use. They say, what's your name? And I say, Janelle Barlow, perfect. And I'm thinking, my name is not perfect. It's not something in that category of perfect or imperfect. So what's this perfect statement? And then they say, and where do you live? And I tell them my address, perfect. And your telephone number, perfect. I can hardly stand it. Or they'll say great, or they've got one of these one word expressions. And then I ask them, has your company told you to say that? Because it sounds bad when everything that I say is perfect or extraordinary. That's not how people communicate with each other. That was a chance for you to say perfect. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, thank you. What a perfect answer that is. Now, is there a way you recommend to complaint that has power? In other words, there's a way not to do it. We've kind of touched on it. But if you do have a complaint, and we're going to get viable complaints, there's nothing wrong, you know, if we're married or in a relationship, you're going to get complaints. And often, again, we start defending. I know just in my own personal relationship, if my partner's complaining about something, my first knee-jerk reaction depends on my mood. If I'm tired and feeling a little you know, hangry, grumpy, I might respond in a negative way. And it's like, it's not good customer service. But if I'm actually actively listening and being present in the conversation to what they're actually saying, like what's the content? What, what are right. they saying? Why are they saying right. that? And then try and look at it from that perspective. So bring empathy into right. it, even if you're not empathetic. Right. Chances are with your spouse or family or complaining, the, the brain starts looking for, well, what about you? Didn't you do this? What about you? I mean, the brain automatically goes there. These go-to responses, they need to be identified. And then you need to start to be aware of them. And when you start to say them, move away from them. I don't know if I've got time for this real quick story. There's a group of people who've been looking at kids in the ghetto who, whenever they have a fight with each other, they pull their guns out and start shooting. And so what they're doing is they're bringing these kids in, they do a little exercise with them. And I actually do this with the groups of people as well, is one of them has a ball and then you say to the other one, now, what I want you to do is to get that ball from that person. And the person who has a ball, I want you to hold on to that ball. So they start going, and it's amazing to watch grown adults fight each other for this ball, but it's their go-to response because you just told them, get the ball. And then you stop after a while and then you say to them, well, how could you have gotten that ball differently than to fight like this? Because that's what they do with their guns. They have this right. fight and their go-to response is, I'll kill you or I'll shoot you or I'll do something like that. Right. So they said, well, I could have just asked for it. And then you say to the guy who has the ball, would you have given it to him if he had asked for it? And he said, yes. 
Well, then why didn't you ask for it? Because the go-to response is, he's got it, I don't, I'm going to go for it. And there's a whole bunch of these go-to responses and complaints. And one of them is, well, what about you? You could be cheating. I mean, I've heard customers say things like that before, or we've never heard that before. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a go-to. Believe me, they've heard it before. That's how you know they have heard it. Other tricks that I've used, and this is just for people who have complaints, and I'm interested if there's a few strategies that we can use as consumers to complain effectively to actually try and win that. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to win the debate. We're going to win that negotiation. Right. I will CC in the CEO. At first, if I get responses and I'm getting quick, prompt responses, great. I let it stay that way. But if I haven't heard in a while or I'm not getting something, I'll respond and then take a relevant executive or C-suite and bring in the CEO or a BCC. But often if I just CC it, I get an immediate response and resolution within days or hours. Well, that's great. I mean, some of the people I talk to, they don't even know who their CEO is, really. That's unfortunate. Yes, there are a number of things you can do. The one that I found the best is you stop. You're making your company stop and you say, you have to get kind of emotional about it. I've been a customer of yours for 15 years and I've had problems, but this one clearly makes me think maybe I shouldn't be doing business with you. And then you shut up and let them respond. I don't pull that card out all the time, but every time that I have, unless they're saying perfect. Yeah. It's like, they, sorry to see it go. Yeah. People say, well, okay. Almost always they have to bump it up to a, right. a supervisor. Right which is really where I want them to go in any case. They're not empowered to handle that situation. But I want them to know that I am emotionally involved with the business that pays their salary. I'm emotionally involved with the conversation that I'm having with them. Because sometimes they don't read my emotions. So I have to get quite direct about those emotions. And I don't mean nasty emotions. I mean... You're sad about it. You're sad. You want it to be different. I don't want to stop doing business with you. I'm used to you. I'm used to all the little foibles. Your family. You guys are family. We love you guys. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Why why do companies resist the empowerment? It's like you're a speaker, you're traveling, you're checking in a hotel, and often we have to speak right after lunch and we get extended time. And I remember always I'll go to the front desk and I go, hey, can I send my checkout to 1 p.m. or 2 p.m.? And they're like, well, no. And I have to go through a whole process in order to do it. So then I started asking when I showed up and I'm going, well, how often do you guys grant this when it's requested? And they go 99% of the time. Why don't you just empower the clerk where I'm talking to to do it then? So I don't have to go through the process. So now when I show up, I said, do you have the authority to resolve my problem? If they say, no, would you mind escalating? Please. Thank you so much. And I just keep Mm -hmm. going. Do you have the authority to resolve my problem? And complain fairly. And I've learned to do that versus being, you know, anger gets you nowhere. That literally gets you nowhere. And you're just going to frustrate yourself. But I'll just simply ask them who can resolve it. How can we resolve it? I'm interested in resolving it. Love your product. Love your service. Want to talk to all my friends about how wonderful you are. And I've done it. I've actually talked about how they've handled situations in a positive way as well. It's EQ, isn't it? It's really having a high EQ, not so much IQ. It's emotional quotient. It's being emotionally aware of what emotions are being charged at the moment and how do I de-escalate or diffuse those emotions and use them to our advantage or ignite other ones. Along with the Complaint is a Gift book, this year I have also written, along with a business partner in Mexico, we wrote a book called A Complaint is a Gift workbook. And there's 101 exercises in the workbook and a large number of them deal with emotional intelligence. So for example, asking questions, that's emotional intelligence. And people will say to me, yeah, but we already offer that course. Well, what I do is I take 
what does it mean to ask questions when a customer is complaining? Because that's different than what are the questions I need to ask to close the order or just to book them into the hotel or whatever it is that I'm doing. This is specifically about asking questions to get to those emotions. It's to find out what it really meant to them. Asking those questions, you can find out whether or not they misuse your product and then you can fix that. But if you don't ask those questions, you never get to find that out. Reading body language, all of those emotional intelligence quiz, people need to look at them again in relationship to complaint handling. Right. They're different when you're looking at complaints. Well, as you say in the introduction of the workbook, complaints are a pathway to keep customers. And I think it's really about staying aware, staying present in the conversation, having some flexibility, and then having that right mindset. And I think you really say it well in there in the mindset and listen to what they're saying. How can I solve this problem? And then empowering our people. And I say, we're going to have complaints. So you buy a brand new Tesla, there's going to be something that needs adjusting onto it. You invest a lot of money in a (laughs) brand new motorhome or a brand new house, and you spent a million dollars on, which doesn't buy much these days, you're going to have some complaints. And so complaints aren't the issue. It's how we handle those complaints. Matter of fact, I'd say you wrote the book on it, but you did over three times. So a complaint really is a gift. So I want to thank you, Janelle, for sharing some time with us. And I'm working on another book right now, which is 12 Best Business Practices for Managers who Want to Manage Their Staff to Handle Complaints Better. So managers need to learn how to do this too. They do. It sounds like you're definitely busy and I know you're enjoying this stage of life and it's great to have that wisdom, that intellectual capital, those insights, those strategies to make our businesses better. So Janelle Barlow, the website is a complaintisagift.com. You've got lots of tools. They can get information there. They can get information about your consulting, how they can engage with you and get regular information from you as well. Highly recommend the book and the workbook. The website's great. We'll have all of those links on the website. So Janelle, thanks for being my guest. Thank you. This has been wonderful, wonderful conversation. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.